I love dance. I was dancing competitively. I was, like I said, at the top of my game athletically. I was doing all of these awesome things and I loved it. I loved my life then and I loved my friends and I loved everything that was going on. And then the darkest moments of my life happened and all of that was taken away. But everything that I've gained since then has been so much more beautiful and it's progressed me so much further than I ever could have gone with dance. And so it's not that I didn't enjoy the dance at the time. I loved it. But it's recognizing that everything I have now is so much more than dance ever could have been. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. What do we do when God interrupts our life and turns it in a completely different direction? My guest Morgan McCarver has an answer to that question. Just when all of her disciplined years of dance training and mastering control of her body was about to pay off in the world of competitive dance, she was forced to submit to a surgery that would avoid severe health complications in the future. Morgan would endure a spinal fusion surgery that would alter her body's ability to comply with the demands of dance. With a year-long recovery ahead and without dance, Morgan felt the need to create, so she and her mom began to look for various outlets. And possibly what appeared to be out of convenience for her mother's schedule, she enrolls Morgan in a summer camp and her class is a pottery workshop. You'll hear how God uses this seemingly insignificant enrollment to open a whole new world for Morgan. Morgan makes mention of the book Genesis in the Bible, reminding us that humanity is first introduced to God through the creation process. And it's that side of his nature that he shares with Morgan. The beauty he brings forth through this form of expression in Morgan can be found in numerous art galleries, her Etsy page, and in the pages of the book she's written titled God the Artist, Revealing God's Creative Side Through Pottery. Morgan's website is morganmccarver.com. As Morgan constructs with her hands, God is constructing in her and through her as well. And it's the same for each of us. Listen in to discover the beauty God has for us in the creative process and how it can be overlaid onto what he's doing in our lives as the individuals he created us to be. Welcome to the show, Morgan. I am glad that you're here because I'm looking forward to this conversation on how God revealed or reveals himself to you through the work of your hands and that being the work of a ceramic artist. So again, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So my first question to you, Morgan, is did art find you or did you find art? Ooh, that's a tricky one. I would say a little bit of both. I feel like I've always been looking for a creative outlet. I grew up, both of my parents worked, so my grandmother really watched me during the day and she would make homemade Play-Doh. So I say that's my earliest experience with clay. She would make it on the stove with flour and water and I don't know what all else, baking soda or salt or something. And we would color it with food coloring and So that was kind of my earliest, earliest stages of getting into art. And then from there, as I got older, I danced competitively. And so there was always some kind of creative outlet in my life. Of course, I would do crafts and different things. And I loved art classes at school. But when I was 14, I ended up having spinal fusion surgery due to scoliosis that they had caught. I'd been diagnosed three years earlier with scoliosis. And so that really put a halt to my dance passions, really. And at that point, I was at the top of my game. I had finally made it to the regional competition I had worked my whole dance career for. And I really felt like everything 
came crashing down. I really didn't have that outlet that I was so used to having. And I needed a creative outlet because a scoliosis spinal fusion surgery like that was a year-long recovery process of basically doing nothing. I couldn't run, jump, bend, twist, pick up anything over 10 pounds. So of course, dancing was completely out of the question. And so at that point, my mom signed me up for a summer pottery class just to give me that creative outlet, get me out of the house, get me back into the public world. And I completely fell in love with it. Just the flexibility of the clay that I could get out of that clay, I couldn't get out of my body anymore. So the flexibility as well as that personal relationship, it's so one-on-one, just touching the clay with your bare hands and working with it directly and making really anything you wanted to out of it. And so in that way, I would say ceramics found me. And I would, of course, contribute all of that to God and his timing. But I would say that I have a creative nature. I believe we all do. And I've always kind of been looking for an artistic source and the Lord just provided exactly what I needed in the moment. Mm. Did your mother have any indication that ceramics would work for you or she just wanted to introduce you to that? That's a good question. I would have to ask her. I had taken other art classes, like I had done watercolor and Well, I did more art classes actually afterwards. I was kind of trying different things. I did stained glass at one point and different types of painting. But I think it was really just what was offered at the time that worked with her schedule and with my schedule. And it was something that was unique and different. It was amazing. It's not like we I have a ceramic history in my family or anything like that. We're not like a pottery family or anything. Thankfully, she signed me up for that class. Interesting how the Lord works in that regard. Your mother not really having any sort of connection with it prior to that, but yet it becomes something that is woven into your life to the point where you're an artisan. You have a business. You sell your pottery. We'll have a conversation about what type, what level of pottery that you do craft. Real quick, though, out of curiosity, did you ever feel that you were robbed when you had gotten to that point where you were just breaking into the best of the best in your dancing skills, all the, I think about the years of dedication, the sacrifice, and then it all comes tumbling down. Were you ever mad at God? I don't know if I was specifically mad at God or more just mad at the things that were happening. I had, like I had mentioned, I had been diagnosed with scoliosis when I was in fifth grade. So that was about three years before I ended up having surgery And we had been to multiple doctors, gotten multiple opinions on what needed to happen. And I ended up at Shriners in Greenville, South Carolina, actually, and they were really great. But I started with back bracing. And so it was a brace made out of plastic and some foam for cushioning. But the idea was that it would hold my spine in place or potentially correct it. And so for those who aren't familiar, scoliosis is where instead of my spine growing straight during that final kind of teenage growth spurt, it was actually growing side to side. And not only that, but it was rotating. And so I had three different curves in my back varying by degrees, and they were only getting worse, actually. And they were starting to affect my organs. Um, I couldn't, I didn't have full lung capacity. My hips were uneven, my shoulders were uneven, and this was starting to affect my daily life. And it was going to affect my adult life and only get worse in that way. So the idea was that bracing would help. And then when it didn't, I had to have that surgery. So I knew for almost a year that the surgery was going to take place. We had picked a date in advance, just the way their scheduling worked. But I was praying that whole time that the Lord would take that away from me and that he would miraculously heal me and that my story would just be living with scoliosis. And that was not the case. And I kind of had an inkling at that point. I had been a Christian for a while, but I didn't fully recognize the voice of God. And looking back on it, I do. And I know in that time he was speaking that that's not my story. My story's not done yet. The story wouldn't be nearly as good without the surgery. And so all of these things are coming into my head and I'm like, what is going on? You know, this can't be, this is crazy. And turns out the Lord was preparing me for what was to come. I do believe God prepares us for things. He might be very calm or quiet about it, if you will, but he is preparing us for things to come. I know. I know that's been my experience. I think about people and myself as well who pray for something to change and it doesn't. Was there ever a turning point where you just embraced what God had for you? Were you upset about the fact that he did not answer your prayer? 
Probably when I went into post-op, <laughs> I was like, well, I guess it's happening. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. Of course, the doctors had prepared me for what was coming physically, but mentally I had no idea. And I think the anger really came after the surgery, after I realized how weak I was because the incision is my entire spine. Like there are two titanium rods and 18 screws down pretty much every vertebra in my spine. I have a couple in my neck and one or two at the very base of my spine that aren't fused together. But basically this is my entire spine and it is that way for the rest of my life. It's fused straight. I still can't bend twist and that's just how it's going to be. And so coming out of surgery and realizing I had to learn to sit up again because all the muscles in my back had been rearranged. And not only that, but they were cut through to do the surgery. And so of course that affected my nerves as well and have regaining feeling like in the nerves in my back and then learning to walk again because my hips were uneven. So my legs were slightly uneven, just enough that the muscles on that shorter leg needed to be kind of worked to be lengthened. And all of these things you don't really think about that uh, your back is really affecting all of them. I think that's really when I was angry that this was happening. And I was really angry more towards my parents because they were the ones that took me to surgery and made me get the surgery. Um, but looking back on it, I'm just so thankful that they did. I couldn't imagine going through. So I'm so thankful that even through my anger, they made me get the surgery. You were talking about the hips are uneven. It's starting to rotate. There's three curves. That's severe. If you ask me, it's severe. Yes. Yes, it was severe. It was severe enough that Shriners Hospitals for Children, you know, they select cases based on how severe they are. And so, yeah, when we went in for the interview and I was one of the selected ones, it kind of really hit that this is actually major. This isn't just, you know, superficial on the outside appearance type of thing. This is actually pretty detrimental to my health. Yeah, as far as your mobility, your organs, the impact that that had on your body in general, your physical limitations. I'm just think pondering the the extent of that. That's that's hard because scoliosis is progressive. It sounds like from time mm -hmm. from diagnosis to surgery, it, you were seeing shifting, you were seeing change in such a and what I consider a short amount of time. So even if it had been left another year or two, it sounds like you would have been debilitated to a certain degree, maybe. Right. I mean, of course, I'm not a doctor, so I wouldn't know exactly what would have happened. But you're right. The idea was they were kind of waiting out that growth spurt. And so there are different things that they were looking for in the x-rays to let you kind of know like, OK, she's, you know, she's maxed out. This is as tall as she's going to be. So they were really pushing it as long as they felt like they could. And if we had kept waiting, like you said, it would have gotten worse. The surgery would have gotten harder. Even like in the surgery, they had to fuse more of my spine than they originally had planned. So there were all of these things that were kind of culminating into they had waited as long as they could. They gave me as long as they they possibly could for me to, you know, try to keep it together with the back bracing. But it just wasn't going to be that story. You know, the Lord hadn't given me that story. As we move through this conversation, I'm interested to see how he has what he has done with this particular direction that he chose to take you in to show you his faithfulness. When I'm thinking about your recovery, was it a natural idea to go back to uh, a creative avenue, a creative outlet? Or did you decide, no, this is really the only thing I can be doing right now, so I'm going to enjoy it? A little bit of both. So I was really counting down that year because that was the rule. I wasn't allowed to do anything that could potentially damage the hardware or mess anything up in my back until the bones had fused for that year. And so I kind of thought pottery, these, you know, other things I'm doing, but especially pottery, I was really thinking, this is great. This is fun. This will just be something that gets me, tides me over until I get back to dance. And I just kept taking the pottery classes. I kept really finding that passion and really enjoying it. And I did go back to dance after that year, but physically I wasn't the same. Mentally, I wasn't the same. A lot of my friends were older than me, so they had graduated or they had stopped because they got to high school and they wanted to do high school things, cheer, have boyfriends, whatever that might be. And so I really felt like my friend group was gone and I was a different person. I had to relearn or learn all new steps because the dances change every year. And so all of these things 
and mentally, like I mentioned, I wasn't wanting to get out in front of people. I had become very introverted and very shy during that time. So the thoughts of performing, much less performing competitively like I used to do, were just so unappealing that I really hated going back to dance. And I realized that's no longer where my passions are. And at that point, I realized ceramics is it. That's where I find the most joy. There's a lot of uncertainty with illness, and it seems like that's your case as well. You just don't know what's coming with an illness, especially in this degree. You're going back to dance something that you knew and loved, but yet now you're finding limitations and you know, like hurdles that are basically moving targets uh, at that point. So how did you find peace in the midst of that type of uncertainty? I mean, honestly, it was finding peace in the creative process. I know the Christian answer is to find peace in God. And my faith had grown tremendously through praying to God and building that relationship, especially that prayer life during that year-long recovery and the almost year leading up to the surgery. My prayer had really, my prayer life and relationship had really grown. But looking back, I, honestly, I wouldn't say that I was finding peace in God in that moment because I think I was still too young to understand what that really looked like. And so at that point, I was finding peace in the creative process. And now looking back on that, I recognize that as God had given me those talents and those desires to, because I believe we're all creative. And so he made me creative. He made me find joy in that process. And so I was honoring him by discovering the gifts and talents he had given me and by learning the skills and the techniques to build that craft and make that stronger. And so all of these things where I thought I was just getting better at ceramics or learning how to do uh, what I wanted to do and do something a little bit harder than I had done before, finding that joy was really God-given joy. And he was kind of preparing me for what was to come later on. So all the while I was honoring him through that by simply just relying on him and keeping that relationship with him. Do you think engaging the creative nature of God is spending time with him? Mm, that's a good question. I would say yes. I would say there's several different facets to that. Like recognizing God's creation, number one, is, is building that relationship with him. But also, like you said, finding your own creativity, I think that's a great way to strengthen your relationship with God. I'm constantly getting little snippets of wisdom when I'm in the studio about if something doesn't go well, the Holy Spirit will tell me like this is similar in your walk with the Lord or different things like that that I'm able to constantly kind of relate back to. But also I think just inviting him into that creative process as I did with writing the book, um, that's a great way as well to say, you know, I, I'm the vessel here and you are the mind behind this. Guide me how you want to use me. So there's all different ways I think that creativity can kind of strengthen that relationship. And when people are using their creative giftings, their talents, do you believe that that's a form of worship? Definitely. I think that, you, of course, anything can be twisted out of context. So I would say you kind of have to be careful and make sure you're not idolizing the craft or your creativity and not becoming too proud thinking of the art as a God or yourself as a God. But yes, I think if you're finding joy in that creative passion, that God's given you that creativity. And so he is recognizing you're finding joy in that and he's given you that gift and um, you can definitely use that to honor God. And I think that's a form of worship for sure. That's a very important point that you just made as far as making something an idol, because I think it's a very subtle shift. It starts out really good. And then at some point it shifts ever so slightly as far as you're not aware of it or you you didn't put your guard up. And then later down the road you look and maybe you've made it an idol. So I think that's very important to, to point out that. Tell us a little bit about the type of art and the creative expression that you enjoy with ceramics. Basically, I say most of my work is slip cast and a lot of people stare at me with a blank face. And I understand 
that's not a very common term. And in fact, I didn't know it until I actually went to college for it. But basically, it's a really old technique way back to like the 1700s old. And it's the idea of creating a shape, a silhouette of something that you like, a prototype. And then you make a plaster mold of that design. And then you pour slip, which is liquid clay, into that plaster. And the plaster absorbs all of that water from the liquid clay and you're left with a ring of clay. So you dump out the excess and you've got that shell or the cast of your mold. And so in that way, I'm able to make multiples of the same form. So I have cup molds, vase molds, things like that, that I'm able to cast. And I do it all by hand. I like to have control in my process and make everything as original as possible. So I make my own prototypes. I make my own molds. I make my own slip, glaze, surface design, all that kind of stuff. I, Like I said, I love the technique. So I really want to learn every aspect of ceramics that I can. And I've really made it my own in that way, in my own work as developing each different level. But I do throw on the wheel as well, and I hand build as well. Probably most people are familiar with wheel throwing. It's just sitting at the pottery wheel. But with my limitations, that is hard for me. So I've learned I have to pick one day a month to go in and throw at the wheel and then rest for several days. If I went repetitively, I would aggravate my um, back and different things like that would become a lot more challenging. And so I've learned I really just have to give it one really good long day, usually a Saturday, knock out what I need to make and then let my body rest instead of kind of repeating. So through that, I've learned I have to alter my studio practice based on my physical standards, what I'm able to do. And so the molds are really accommodating in that way because I can stand on my cushy mats and I can pour my molds and everything is more moving my arms and not so much bending my back. So it really does help with my practice overall. Where can people find your products at? They can go to my website. It's probably the best place. It's www.morganmccarver.com. And from there, you can see different places. But essentially, I'm in about 10 different galleries between the Carolinas and Tennessee. And I also have an Etsy shop. It's Morgan and Porcelain. And then I also have a fair site for anyone who does wholesale. So I'm kind of in several places. But you'll find all the gallery names on my website and I update those regularly based on getting into new galleries or trying something new, whatever that might be. Well, you don't sound busy at all. <laughs> I know. I know. That's, that's the feedback from my family. You need to slow down a little bit, make that a new year's resolution, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if that actually happens. I like right, to stay yeah. busy. Yes. And you're young. And so you have energy and you have dreams and plans. <laughs> so that'll keep you going too. Oh, Yes. When you think about art, creative nature, and trying to find a healing process, no matter what, an illness, anxiety, different things, what do you think having a creative process, an outlet, what does that add to a healing process? That is really good to unpack. I think that's really important to talk about. And I know a lot of people compare pottery to therapy. They'll say, oh, this is therapeutic. I've, thought, I've taught a lot of classes where individuals will say that to me. And I understand everybody's experience is different. It being a business for me, I don't usually feel that way um, because it is still work. But I would say it's important to find that joy because if I didn't enjoy what I was doing, why would I still own this business? Like, why would I be doing what I'm doing? So there are some beautiful moments in the studio. And usually I'm a problem solver. So I, every once in a while, will just give myself a really hard problem to solve. And it really forces me to not think about anything else that's going on in my life. It forces my complete physical attention, mental attention on whatever I'm working on. And I think that's really important for me to just clear my head in that way. I see that as very therapeutic but I don't view it as therapy. I think it's important as well to actually go to a counselor or something and receive the therapy you need for that. But I think art is great in healing. I think there are a lot of amazing doctors who are doing things about that and different things. And the listener can do that for themselves too in different ways of you know, painting your anger away or whatever that might be. There's so many different creative ways. Dancing again, that's a great one. And I do, Zumba is a form of exercise for me. And so sometimes if you've got to get that stress release, a nice Zumba session is great. And it doesn't require too much backbending. I can usually accommodate pretty well. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's important to just balance as you go along, make sure you're getting the actual guided counseling and care you need in that way. But supplementing with art is a great way as well. I have heard that it is used in a therapeutic way, but I haven't experienced that. So I didn't really know to what, what does that look like? What does that entail? So I just wondered if that was something that you benefited from in your own journey through scoliosis. Well, I say through, it's you're still living with it today. Or if it's something that is purposely done through therapy programs? I think it could be both. I haven't specifically done a therapy program like that, but I have friends who teach that program and I know there's some great methods that they use. But for me, my therapy is things that I don't sell. So sewing is one of those, like I make a lot of costumes and different types of like historically inspired pieces. And you can see those on my website too. And those are like sculptures that I'll present with other exhibitions that I do. But usually I don't sell my, my sewing because that's my way of doing what I want. I'm not making it and, you know, to fit a certain market or with a desire to sell. So that's, that's kind of what I'm saying is how my pottery business is not necessarily therapeutic because I have to have a business plan. I'm keeping all of these things in mind as I'm working and I've got to make sure that, you know, I've produced X amount of work to fill this show coming up and carrying pots to the shows. There's definitely some less glamorous parts of ceramics that people don't always think about, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that therapy couldn't come from ceramics for them. Just like I know a lot of people make a living being seamstresses. And so I'm sure they would listen to this and say that sewing for them isn't therapeutic. So it's all about where you're coming from. You just answered my next question because I was going to (laughs) say, so how do you find things you enjoy? Because once we do make make it a business, it does become business. You have a different mindset about what you do and how you approach it. And so I was going to ask you, how do you find a creative outlet? I've looked at your Etsy website and I loved the, I think it was cups and saucers. It's been a while when you and I first met, I went back and looked at it. And so it was beautiful, but uh, now you're going to have me interested in going back and looking at what you sew. (laughs) For people who are trying to figure that out, I would say for me, ceramics, I recognize I'm more of like a production potter. So I like to produce multiples and the molds are great for that. So I'm making the same cup over and over and over again. And I might do something different on the surface with my flower designs, but I really like producing the same exact thing over and over repetitively because I can just kind of zone out in the studio, listen to my podcast or whatever it might be. But for sewing, I like to have more one, one-off kind of original pieces. And there's, of course, there's all different aspects. So you can do that with sculpture and ceramics. You can make individual pieces and sell them as well. But just coming from my standpoint, that's how I kind of determined what was going to be my hobby and what was going to actually be my business. That's smart. That's very smart. Before our conversation tonight, I was watching the sunset and it was just fabulous. And Mm -hmm. so but I was wondering if you find any sort of inspiration from nature when you work. Yeah, I do. Yes. (laughs) I think that's an important part of all of this. God created everything, but of course, nature was what he started with. So recognizing just all of his artistry in everything. Like you with the sunsets, when I drive to work, I see the sunrise and I love seeing the sunrise and how it looks different every day and all the colors that come out of that. But in my pottery, I use a lot of wildflowers and I have four different wildflower designs that I've hand-drawn, I've got them copyrighted, and then I screen print them as a transfer onto my pieces. And basically they're wildflowers that I've grown up with in the Carolinas. I'm originally from South Carolina, but I live in North Carolina now. And I always say that wildflowers are my favorites because you don't know when you're going to see them. And so it's such a bright surprise when you pass them on the side of the road. And I think they're such a symbol for strength and for feminine strength, especially because they look so delicate and so fragile, but no one is cultivating them. No one's pulling the weeds, watering them, making sure they get enough sunlight and um, protecting them from the frost. They're just growing because that's where God put them. And they are thriving in that way. And I think that relates to my life so well as well, because I look so delicate. I've had this surgery. People view me as delicate, um, but there's a hidden strength in there too. Maybe not physical strength, but strength in other ways. And so I completely relate to these flowers. And I've incorporated some that have defense mechanisms as well. Like the thistle has thorns that protect it from other things that might trample it or 
pluck it. And I think that's so important as well to remember that, you know, we can fight against the spiritual warfare that affects us. And we're really stronger than people view us as. And so it fits in really perfectly with the porcelain I use, because a lot of people think porcelain is so fragile. And it is because it is used in delicate teacups and vases. And of course, if you drop something on the floor, it's going to break. But also it is so strong. It's got just some amazing strength. If you think about it, most of the sinks and toilets you use are porcelain and you're mm. putting your body weight on, on that. So, I mean, it is strong in its own way. It doesn't handle thermal shock very well. Like if you were to put it from the freezer to the oven, it's going to crack. So it's all about the time and place. And again, I relate to that so well because in certain situations, I am very weak in physical situations or working out, you know, any type of gymnastics or anything. I pretty much can't do it. I'm very weak. But in other ways, like in pottery or other things, I feel like I can be so strong. And I just recognize that God is um, giving me power through my weakness in that way. And I'm honoring him through that. Um, but also just recognizing that we all have our own strengths for our own reasons and for God's reasons that he's allowing us to shape our lives. When I watch the sunsets or the sunrise, if I look up to, at the sky, I, I consider the sky God's moving, living, breathing canvas that he is constantly expressing himself on because it changes moment by moment. And then I look at things like these flowers, especially if they're growing in the middle of concrete where there's no reason for them to find the ability to thrive. Or I was looking at pictures of snowflakes. Absolutely intricately interesting, and yet they melt within seconds. And it reminded me of the fact that God in his sovereignty or his perfection or his excellence, he delivers in a way that even if it only shines for a brief moment, we get to see his excellence. He doesn't slack. He delivers every time in its full expression, whatever that snowflake is supposed to be, whatever that flower for however many days that flower lives, however many seconds that snowflake is is existent. But God doesn't hold back from that creative process of expressing himself. I think that's a beautiful thing. Is your faith evident in your work? I say you don't have to paint Bible verses on canvases to prove that you're honoring God through your art. So in that way, I don't put Bible verses on my pots, um, but my story definitely lends itself. And I love giving just enough detail where people ask questions. And at shows, they'll say, scoliosis, oh, I had a friend who had that, or I have that, or I knew someone who had that, and I'm able to show them God's glory through that story and just constantly point it back to him. And of course, my social media I use as a platform, I think it's a great, I mean, it's terrible, but it can also be a great platform. So you've got to you know, balance whether you're looking at social media and just dragging yourself down or you're using it to inspire others. So I've been really intentional about that recently, about using my social media to constantly point back to God's glory in that way. But I love sharing my story one-on-one. -on -one. I think it comes across um, so much more personally, of course, and I'm really able to encourage others in viewing how God is giving his grace into their lives and how he's making a way in their stories. And it's it's really beautiful to connect to people, complete strangers in that way. That does sound like a very personable exchange. And when you're vulnerable with your story, I think that does mean something to people. I know I say this all the time. My listeners are going to hear it again. People say money makes their world go around. I say story makes the world go around. It changes people. When people have the opportunity to listen to somebody's vulnerable season and what they went through and how they healed through that, especially with God, I think that's life transforming for people to share stories. It sounds like God is speaking to you through the process of create, being creative and pottery and the qualities of pottery. But what is he showing you? What did he teach you, reveal to you about his nature, about who he thinks you are with regard to the, your journey through scoliosis? Mm, that's something that I wasn't comfortable talking with or talking about for about 10 years. I just wanted to forget that I had scoliosis. I didn't want anyone to know. And the people who did know, I wanted them to forget, to stop treating me differently, because of course they had to treat me differently. You know, right after the surgery, they couldn't run up and give me a bear hug or any of these things. But 
I was tired of being viewed as different. And so for 10 years, I just didn't talk about it. I didn't tell people, you know, new friends didn't know. And that really was convicting after a while. I started realizing that God gave me this story for a reason. And so coming out of that, it was about, it was after the 10 years, it was about 11, 12 years later that I started realizing how thankful I was that God gave me this story because he allowed so many other things to come out of it. Um, Without the scoliosis surgery, I might not have ever taken that pottery camp. And that led to me getting a degree in ceramics, which led to me working several different types of art-related jobs from customer service to help desk type things to answering the phones, loading kilns, eventually moving to North Carolina to work for a studio potter for a year and a half. So all of these things were brought about because of that initial jumping off point that might have never happened if the Lord had answered that original prayer. And so realizing that my whole life, what it is now is because of those moments just made me so thankful. I had so much gratitude to the Lord for giving me that story and allowing that story to be my story and that I can share that with the world. He's just been so good to give me such an amazing story in that way. And like I said, for 10 years, I didn't feel this way. It's only recently that I've been feeling like this and able to express this and able to talk about this. And every time I talk about it, I realize how many people can relate or how many people are learning from this and able to be helped by this. And it encourages me to share more. So I'm feeling like I need to catch up and continue to share my story more because I haven't been honoring the Lord for the past 10 years because I haven't been sharing Um, my story. But coming out of it, it's just been so amazing to see everything that um, the Lord has done and blessed me with because of it. It is interesting that when we're going through something, we don't really understand or grasp what God is doing in the moment. It's not until later, and it depends on how much later per person, I think, per, you know, their situation. But you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, like you were saying earlier, he was really speaking to me. And I didn't even pick up on the fact that he was speaking to me or he was preparing you for this journey when I'm listening to you talking, it sounds like life is different, but it's still beautiful. It's not what you expected, what you had planned, what you had uh, anticipated, but yet God still does something beautiful with such a detour. Mm. Yes. I kind of have compared it in the smallest, most minuscule way to what I think heaven will be like. And you're probably like, what is she talking about? But in a way, I love dance. I was dancing competitively. I was, like I said, at the top of my game athletically, I was doing all of these awesome things and I loved it. I loved my life then and I loved my friends and I loved everything that was going on. And then the darkest moments of my life happened and all of that was taken away. But everything that I've gained since then has been so much more beautiful and it's progressed me so much further than I ever could have gone with dance. And so it's not that I didn't enjoy the dance at the time. I loved it. But it's recognizing that everything I have now is so much more than dance ever could have been. Just for example, going to college for ceramics alone. I mean, that's an amazing thing that I was able to do. And moving to a different state, I've had three different solo exhibitions that I've been able to show my work in. I've done an art residency the past two summers. I got a grant, an artist grant, to be able to attend a national ceramics conference and buy a portable pottery wheel. And now I'm going to use that wheel to teach the youth at my church who are basically the same age I was when I discovered pottery. I'm going to get to teach them their first pottery classes and It's just beautiful how all of this has come full circle, and there's so many different accolades the Lord has given me, so many things He's allowed to happen, including writing a book about all of this. And so all all of these amazing things that I'm witnessing that are happening, that God's doing in my life, just because I've constantly trusted Him and said, you know, Lord, show me what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't even know. And it's not that I've always had this plan. It's that I've had no plan. And God has constantly come through and constantly given me the next step or the next half step or wait in this moment. As frustrating as that is, whatever it is, it's just been so beautiful looking back on it that I compare that in a way to life on earth is like how I love dance. I love life on earth, but knowing that life with God forever in heaven is going to be so much more beautiful than I ever would even know is possible. Mm. That is beautiful. And not to backtrack or detract from what you just said, but I, I love what you're testifying to 
So I want to kind of highlight if somebody's in that dark place, what did you grieve when you realized the surgery was going to happen and, and then you get back and you find out you cannot dance anymore? What did you grieve? A lot of things. Body image was major. I mean, it's major for most high school girls. It's major for most people, um, but especially teenage girls. And then having this major surgery on top of all of that, my body doesn't look like everybody else's. And that's very frustrating still. That's something I'm still working on. But definitely during that time, I was, you know, trying to hide my scar with finding a prom dress or whatever it might be. I didn't want to be viewed as different. And I, that was the most obvious thing is the visual. So I was grieving that. Of course, I was grieving dance and the loss of my friend group. And again, that wasn't just because of the surgery. That was them moving on and you know, taking their own paths in life and different things, but it was still a loss of a great community that I had. Just losing my self-confidence was major. And that took, similarly, that really took until I moved to a different state and had to, I didn't know anyone except for my boss and I'd only met her twice. So it was completely starting from scratch, putting myself out there, being vulnerable, meeting new people, you know, trying to find out what's the safe part of town, where should I go, eating by myself, whether that's in a restaurant in public or at home, recognizing my loneliness and asking the Lord to help me through that. That's what it took for me to come out of that shell that I had kind of put myself into. I really welcomed that shell for those 10 years. I wanted to hide and I was so introverted and I didn't want to uh, be recognized or take the stage or do anything that would put me in the spotlight. And looking back and seeing, wow, you know, the Lord made me so much more than that. I, you know, just having confidence in Him should have been my starting place. And I didn't even have that. I just felt so unworthy in those moments. So if you're going through that, I get that. And it's not easy. And for a time, it feels like there's nothing you can do to get out of that, even though you're praying and you're praying for all of these things to happen and for yourself to not feel this way. And sometimes it feels like, you know, they're just empty prayers that nothing is happening, but God's timing is perfect and everyone's healing process is different. And I believe that if I had gone to a therapy type session or gone to counseling, I probably could have come out of that quicker than those 10 years. But even in, you know, in 2011, people didn't talk about the the mental health things that they talk about now. And I think we're heading in a great place in that way. But therapy wasn't really offered to me and it, I didn't really know that I needed it. So if you're hearing this, know that it it is amazing. I've gone to therapy since then and it's been amazing. But when you're in that place, you don't know what you need. And so finding someone who can help guide you, I think is so important. But then also just knowing it might not be today and it might not be this year, but there is a hope and that hope is in God and he will change your story for a beauty. And I didn't believe that at the time because I thought my body will never be the physical beauty that it was. And it's not the physical body that it was, but physically I'm making beautiful things through my pottery. And so focusing on other areas that I've gained because I have gained so much knowledge in ceramics and other friends and now a confidence in myself, a willingness to be extroverted when I want and talk to people when I want and um, feel confidence in that way. Just focusing on what I've gained has brought me so far. That is valuable. In those 10 years when you've, you've isolated socially, but you're engaging God's heart, you're staying connected with Him, is there anything that He showed you about Himself that surprised you? Like, wow, Lord, I didn't even know you cared like that, or I didn't even know you would enter into a place like this, or anything come to mind? I think there were verses that talk about how important and valuable you are to God that I was writing down, I was putting on my mirror, but I wasn't really viewing them as truths in my own life, because I was still in a place that I didn't feel like I could, and I think that's important to consider too, like knowing that you believe the Bible and knowing these things are true, but not recognizing that they're true for you as well. And I think that's a place where that helped me stay in my faith. You know, 
faith in God and that relationship isn't just for the good times, as you know, it's about all of the times and telling yourself these truths, even when you don't believe it. And there's not to say that there weren't dark days where I was just completely down, but just constantly having a fellowship of believers, my family's really strong in their faith. And so having that kind of structure to constantly pull me back to Jesus and encourage me in that way was so important during that time. But really, when I finally was able to say, okay, Lord, you know, my life is what I thought was my life is your life. And so take my life to use for your will. I'm ready. What does that look like? When I started praying those prayers sincerely, that's when he started to move. And that's when he started to show me all of these things and make me come out of that shell to the point of recording podcasts like this that I would have thought, you know, I'd never would have done, but it's so much fun. And I love doing the podcast and I love sharing my story and talking to people like you and hearing your story as well. And so it's all these things that the Lord is constantly working on my heart. And then looking back, I'm able to say, oh, that little thing that pulled me out of that comfort zone you were preparing me for this bigger thing. I see that now. I see that. And I'm so thankful. Um, And constantly thanking him for that, I think, is what allows me to see even more things like that in my life. It's true. You go from believing that the word is true to knowing that the word is true because God shows himself faithful in specific ways. And so that, that transition from believing to knowing, it's a beautiful process. Painful, but beautiful. Mm. I want to ask you this one more question, and then I want to move on to the book you wrote. I want to hear the inspiration behind that. I want to hear what the message is there. But what I want to ask you before we transition over to that is when you think about the process of working with pottery and getting it to the ceramic, that beautiful end result, that process, what can you overlay, if anything, onto how God works with us? or how he brings us from one place and then matures us to another? Oh, so so many things, so many ways, so many different things, and too many to talk about all on this podcast, but they're all in the book. So it's kind of a great segue into probably the most common way is most people are familiar with Jeremiah 18, the potter's house. When the prophet Jeremiah goes, it's in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah goes to the potter's house and The potter is throwing a vessel on the wheel and something happens and the vessel completely crumbles on the wheel, completely is just derailed, not a successful pot. And the potter just cuts that clay off of the wheel. He takes it over, reworks it, as the Bible said, and then puts it back on the wheel and throws something beautiful. And God is telling Jeremiah during that time that that's what he can do with his people, Israel. And I think that's so beautiful. But just unpacking that a little bit, because That's what I'm hoping that the book God the Artist does. It unpacks these verses on a deeper level coming from my ceramics background. So to unpack that, the potter's throwing on the wheel, and there's so many different things that could go wrong, whether that's the clay's too dry, the clay's too wet, the clay's off-centered. We could go into a whole thing about being centered. Or there's so many different things that could happen, but for some reason, the clay did not work. And I think it's important here that the potter reworks this clay. He doesn't just stick it right back on the wheel. He takes it off and reworks it. And that, in the pottery world, means wedging the clay, which essentially is like kneading dough, but instead of adding air, you're getting the air out. So you're getting the air bubbles out. You're kind of making that clay as homogenous as possible by kind of working it, wedging it to make it as smooth and beautiful as possible, but it's still a lump of clay. And that's so important in our lives too. You know, we're We're doing what we think we should be doing and we make a mistake or life hits us hard or spiritual warfare attacks. There's so many things in our lives that cause us to lose focus or to really crumble. Our faith can crumble like the clay does. And so then we're in this place and the Lord doesn't just restore us. And I think that's what we're all looking for is just that immediate redemption. And that's what you're praying for. I was praying for immediate healing and that's not what the Lord gave me. Um, You know, the clay has to be reworked to get all of the water out of it. And my life had to be reworked. I had the surgery. I had to start from scratch. I had to become a baby again, essentially learn how to walk, learn all of these things with my new body. Um, 
And in the same way, the clay has to go through the same stages of centering on the wheel and opening up the clay, bringing the walls up, all of these things once again to get to that final stage. So, so many different references like this that are just so powerful when you understand all of the background. You know, it's not going to be easy. There is redemption. God promises us redemption, whether it's on this side or in heaven. There's always that promise of redemption, but there's going to be some working in there. There's going to be some hardships. There's going to be some evening out of whether that's emotions or whatever that might be. God's going to work on us to get us to that smooth state, ready to accept his will once again. I see that clay as my life and God, (laughs) you know, having to rework it, I guess, losing what I thought I was going to do, my expectations about what Mm -hmm. my life was going to be. And then it gets thrown off the wheel and has to have the air bubbles pressed out of it. And that's pretty darn painful. But yet he is creating something far more beautiful with my life. And I often entertain the idea that, or I ponder with the Lord, I'm in conversation with the Holy Spirit, that, you know, life is, as we know it with its brokenness, uh, is painful. But if we know God, the Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, then we get an opportunity to invite him into the process of rewriting not only what we thought we were going to do, but we get a healing from the God who created us, knit us together, knows who we are. And in my opinion, I believe that it engages us to discover who he created us to be before we entered into sin, before we were born into sin, because he has a purpose for our life. And when we hit these hard spots and we allow him to heal us. He doesn't put things back like they used to be. We're asking, oh Lord, just give me back what I had. Lord, just put it back together. But he's like, baby, I don't want to put it back together. I want to give you something new. I want to give you something different. And so as painful as it is, I still think that's a beautiful process. Yes, I agree. And that's, I feel like that's what you're testifying to today is that it is more beautiful than you had imagined or could think to ask for. Isn't that what the yes. scripture says? So we're talking about your book. We're talking about what what was the inspiration behind that? Really, it was looking for a book that didn't exist. When I was graduating in 2019 from college, I wanted that connection, that art world that I was about to lose that I'd had for the past four years. And I wanted a devotional for potters. And there's so many Bible verses with pottery that I thought, there has to be one. And I couldn't really find what I was looking for. So at that time, I started taking notes. I started kind of compiling all the Bible verses that I could find about artistry, pottery, God's creative nature. And I tried to get the first manuscript published in 2019. And oh my goodness, it was so rough. I'm so glad that it did not get published. But again, I recognized like that was another rejection that I felt, you know, what is the Lord? I thought he was telling me to do this, but it really didn't talk about my scoliosis journey because that was still within that 10 year period and I was not comfortable. So how do I tell my scoliosis journey, my testimony, how I found pottery and what this means to me without talking about scoliosis. So like I said, the first manuscript was not great. And an editor told me that. They said that I'd have to pay a lot of money to have someone else write it for me. And I said, I just graduated college. I can't afford that. So at that point, I was praying to the Holy Spirit and I felt him saying, you just need to wait until you have more experience. And I thought that meant decades down the line, I'd be retired, old and gray, writing a memoir in my rocking chair or something. But no, it really meant just a couple years later, January of 2023, I was sitting, I had some free time and it was cold up here in the mountains. And so I I felt the Holy Spirit telling me to revisit that manuscript. And I pretty much rewrote the whole thing in two and a half weeks, started reaching out to publishers. And at that time, I was praying, Lord, you know that I've tried this once and failed, and you're telling me to do this again. And I recognize that I know nothing about book publishing or anything that I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm going to completely give this project to you. And that was the first time I had really completely given anything to God. I thought I had before, but that really wasn't the case. I still wanted my hand in it. I wanted that control. But recognizing that I could completely give this to God and he was going to be the only one to make anything happen. I just relinquished it and he allowed one publisher to reach out. It was Morgan James Publishing. 
And they told me it's not a yes, but it's not a no, that my word count was too uh, too short. And so he asked me to lengthen it. And I spent about a week and a half about doubling the word count, sent it back to him as an application. And then a couple of weeks later, I got that acceptance letter. And oh my goodness, I just knew, I knew it was all from God. And that was just so encouraging to recognize, like I had given all of this to him. He had told me to do this and he honored that process. And he, through his grace, allowed this book to become what it is now. And it's, it's completely all him. It's just amazing. I have heard that more than one time when people are <laughs> working on something, a book especially, that most of those are coming to mind right now, but they're ready to publish or they're ready to get it out there. And the Lord says, no, not yet. I need you to wait. And when they wait, they do see a much better product, a much deeper or richer message that he was preparing for them to have included in the book. So that's not an unusual thing as far as him deepening mm -hmm. something in your spirit or in your experiences in order for you to share that with. Or even sometimes, God, the timing to be matched up with this particular publisher who needed a book at that time, God's timing is perfect timing. That's why yes. I never get upset when things don't work out like I thought they were time-wise. I'm like, we're on God's time. It'll be okay. <laughs> I am looking at the clock. We have run out of time, and I absolutely hate that because I had several more questions for you. But I'm going to wrap up with two. The first one is, is there anything that I have not asked you about that you would like to make sure that you share before we part? I think I touched on this a little bit, but I really just want the listeners to understand, and I want to unpack this a little bit more. I think I mentioned that I believe God gave me my creativity and I really believe that God gave everyone creativity. I think this it's not a spiritual gift, which means that everyone has this because spiritual gifts, you know, some are stronger in some areas than others. And that's not to say that that's not true with creativity. Some might be more prone to being creative than others. But I truly believe that God gave all of us this gift of creativity. And I say that because God is creative. In the beginning, God created when we're seeing God for the first time in Genesis, the very first verb used is creating. And we're seeing God as a creative God, imagining these amazing things, imagining earth quite literally. And that's how we're introduced to our maker as him being our maker. And so he made us in his image. So by, by default, if he is creative and he made us like him, then we're all creative. And I think that's just so important to learn. And that means, you know, that doesn't mean that we're the best at our creative fields and social media. That's where I say social media is bad because it feels like, oh, if I'm not the best, then I must be bad at this. And I know I'm not the best potter. I know I don't sell the most pieces. I know I don't have the biggest Instagram account. But I think it's important to remember that doesn't disqualify me from being a potter. It doesn't discredit my art or my creativity, and it doesn't take away my value as a daughter of Christ. And so I think this is so important to remember that we are we are given this gift by God to use for His glory. And so that's why I say when you find joy in the creative process, that's from God. So I think that's just so important to remember. The creative process, I think spending time with the Lord in creative process, again, I think it is a form of worship and you're engaging the heart of God in something that he loves doing. So it is a winning experience in my in my. But you have me thinking, too, about how creativity might be defined or interpreted, because I feel like people have a gift of hospitality, like they're so like the details and the way they greet people and care for people. I, I think hospitality can even be a creative expression. I wonder if nurturing children or grandchildren, in my case, can be a form of creativity. Or I know singers, songwriters, but anyway, you got me thinking on what exactly is engaging God in creation process. I would say, and from, you know, researching different dictionaries and things, it's creating something that didn't exist before. So wherever you're creating something that didn't exist, whether that is, you know, love for your grandchildren, experiences for them, things like that, I think that's a great way that you can be creative. Hospitality, like you mentioned, decorating a beautiful home, of course, that's creative. Organizing a closet, you know, creating some structure there that wasn't there before. Of course, the things we think about, painting, drawing, writing a song, baking, singing, all of these ways are ways to be creative. But there's so many other ways, like in the 
other STEM fields as well, that if you're creating something out of nothing, you're making something that didn't exist before, you're making something new and you're being creative. So there's so many different ways I think that that can be interpreted and you can honor God through. That's good news for some people like my sister who claims she doesn't have a lick of creativity in her pinky finger, but she Mm -hmm. does, but she just doesn't recognize it yet. Last question for you. If our listeners only remember one thing, they are They've been, you know, trying to listen to the podcast, but they've missed bits and pieces. What is the one thing that you want them to remember after this conversation? I would just love for them to remember that they're creative because their creator made them that way. And I think that's just such a powerful thing to realize that we have the ability and the imaginations to think up something new and different and that God gave us these skills. It's wow. It's just so powerful and it can be used in every aspect of our lives. And if you're feeling like we mentioned that you don't see this in yourself and you're not in a place to recognize your passions that God has given you or your creative talents, then at the end of each chapter of my book, God the Artist, I have a creativity challenge and it's open-ended enough that everyone can participate in their own unique ways. And so my hope is while you're reading along and you're learning about my testimony and the background between ceramics and the Bible and learning about the deeper meanings of these scriptures, you're also growing in your relationship with God and in your own creativity as you go through the chapters as well. I might have to have you back on just to discuss pottery and the Bible's references and how that applies to life. But in the meantime, if my listeners are interested in more of your story, definitely find Morgan's book, God the Artist, Revealing God's Creative Side Through Pottery. And we will have the links in the show notes for the um, episode. Morgan, thank you so much for your time, your energy, and your insight. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.